Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me, Jack's back. I am back. Did I leave? I mean, I left a while back, but I've been back for a while. I think. Yeah, you just you've been perpetually back for a while, so that's that's good. Uh, we are Myros free this week. <laughs> Thank God. But who needs him? Because uh, Sean Glynis is here, and I mean, he's the real star of the show, giving us some real cultural cachet. Yeah, talking about. Uh... Claude Chabral, uh, for the third time, ready to get Claudy fancy. Chabral. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm I'm glad when you're on because I know I'm going to watch something I'm actually going to enjoy most of the time. So that's always we, a plus. we could do this well, more often, Steve. You're the one who the... suggests half the other movies. <laughs> I don't know, Jack. I have the secret codes to all of good the good movies. I can tell all which ones good. are good or, mm-hmm. and which ones are not. <laughs> so. I feel like there that, must that be some sense. markers with some of the movies we pick beforehand that suggest they won't be good. <laughs> Yet, every every week, without fail, here we are. I, I don't know. I mean, I always, I always go into each week with wide-eyed optimism. I'm not sure what, what happens. But yeah, I guess, I guess on occasion the movies aren't so great. How weird. <laughs> How strange. <laughs> Certainly has nothing to do with my choices. Uh, I do have a question for you, Sean. Recent sight and sound poll... Uh, are you at all upset that John Leguizamo's The Pest, uh, directed by one Paul Miller, did not make the list? Uh, well, uh, frustrated, perhaps, is a better word. Um, I, I have a suspicion that, you know, in January we'll find out uh, 101 to 250. The rest of the list mm. and uh i have a sneaking suspicion it's uh 101 102 uh so we'll we'll see that'll be a big exclusive sure. you you got you got a ballot sean how many times did you put it on there i know martin scorsese got 15 films do you use the past five times i actually didn't put it on there because i thought it was kind of a given <sighs> that's right? a trap that's what always happens everyone's like oh everyone loves that's the past. what I know. everyone's gonna do the past yeah I actually did the yeah, most dangerous exactly. game because I kind of think that that's a bit more like influential. Um, but that that's, what the, that's that's the international dive for the for hard target, right? <laughs> uh, but that's because I'm an old soul, I guess. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I actually would have voted for surviving the game, that Ice T movie. Remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucking banger. Uh, but yeah, John Lake was almost the pest. I mean, uh, name a better Jeffrey Jones performance. Probably can't do it. Uh, name a more racist John Leguizamo movie. Absolutely can't do it. It's just, it's, it's really like, yeah, you might be transcendent. Yeah. You big, you big, uh, mad TV fan. Huh? You want a little Ari Spears in your life? Uh, we're just Watch John Leguizamo's the pest. We're just lucky that clowns aren't a race, I guess, after spawn. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Cleared, clear the bar there beautifully. <laughs> Oh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, we're actually not talking about John Leguizamo, but uh, I, I want the world to know that I suffered through through COVID uh, just to be here today because Adam Myros has to make student films. So uh, I, I sat with a with a fever and a cough and I and I watched uh, Claude Chabrol, which is actually not a bad way to be COVID. I got to say, I feel like a million bucks. Are you in the clear? Uh, nothing. 
Yeah, I'm in the clear. All it took was some uh, some French yelling, some infidelity, uh, some blasts of violence, some dark comedy. That's it. That's all I need. This, this is how so, French yeah, people get through their great. entire lives. They, they don't even need yeah. the COVID. It's just that's just Wednesday and Thursday and Friday for them every every single day. Yeah, I mean that's that's the uh, that's how you go through life as a French person. You drink wine, you blast cigs, and you assume that the woman that you're fucking is fucking everyone around you. So uh, that's that's all you need to know, and uh, you will live to be at least ninety eight years old if you keep that up. So since this is the value, the third volume um, of the Chabrol Pod, um, as they say in Chicago, um, <laughs> uh, Jack, have you seen much? Uh, Claude Chabrol before these three? No, not a lot. Chabrol is again one of those guys who's so available that I keep overstepping him. Uh, so the, the Chabrol I've seen previously has mostly been his really early stuff, like Le Beau Serge, Les Cousins, uh, Les Bon Femme, which I think more people should see. Ironically, for someone who hasn't watched a lot of Chabrol, I'm like, Les Bon Femme seems like one of those yeah. huge. Uh, oversights for everyone who says they like French New Wave cinema. It's it's right. an amazing movie. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, and I probably bits and pieces of other ones throughout the, like, Chabrol is exactly the kind of director whose movies would show up on, like, Irish TV at a really weird hour on, like, the weekend, and you'd catch a piece here or there. Uh, but no, by no means an exhaustive uh, oversight. I have, like, 15 of them sitting on the shelf, so I think this might kick me off to, like, I should just watch all these. Probably more than fifteen, actually, through various cheapo DVD box sets and things. So, am I gonna rectify gets, that now? It gets um, it's very easy to get on the train of just because, like, oh, let's just pop this one on because they are all just really interesting and and done with such uh, panache. But um, it's funny you talk about like uh, sort of like that they are very available um because there is kind of like this weird mix of like. A lot of the early stuff like that we're watching, like the two early films that we're watching today, I believe are, are were like from shitty rips from like TV and, and yeah. stuff. And then and then mm -hmm. like there is a lot of his stuff like uh like the later film that we're gonna be talking with that is just like sitting on various streaming surfaces that are just kind of like nondescript. Like you can see the poster and be like, Okay, there's a redheaded woman and like title in red text. <laughs> and it it has like some ominous title, and it's like that's probably a Chabrol film um, that nobody <laughs> talks about, and it's probably really good. I was just gonna say, I say, I guess when I say when I say available, I guess that like from my perspective, coming through the DVD age, like Arrow in the UK released these two really neat box sets with like seven in one and eight in the other, and I picked them up for like. 20 bucks maybe for like both volumes years ago so they've always been super available for me yeah, and i yeah. just never got around to mm -hmm. them but you're you're correct like some of them are in surprisingly shitty shape considering he's a pretty major filmmaker from france and, and like the, the odd like yeah. french almost commercial filmmaker right. where france is like notoriously mm -hmm. hates commercial <laughs> filmmakers and tries not to produce any yeah it's it's funny we've talked about this i think on the other Gibral episodes. Uh, you know, obviously he's associated with the French New Wave, but like there's not this, it's not like Godard or something like that, where there there can be a barrier to entry depending on where you jump in. I, mm -hmm. I mean, every Chabral film that I've watched, it's just like, they're so good and they're so accessible. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's just perfect. If, I mean, if you want to really like get someone into, you know, French 
movies from this era. I think it's actually a great place to start. And it's wild to me that he still seems like such a criminally uh, just overlooked filmmaker. Uh, well, and especially now, Jack, that you're like, oh, this, you know, they probably played his movies on Irish TV back in the day or something like that. Apparently, Irish TV used to be a lot better because when I was over there, all they had played on TV was Naked Attraction. So, I well, <laughs> to be fair, Steve, the uh, my last trip to Ireland in two weeks, I watched one film on television and it was the Overboard remake. And it was very bad. So, <laughs> you know, these things have gone down. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not the same. But it really I mean, it really is like it's it's like. It's the perfect thing to just like throw on on a Sunday afternoon and just oh, yeah. kind of, you know, let it, let it wash over. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and it's very easy for like uh, people who, you know, don't have an interest in like <clears throat> French cinema or whatever to just be watching and be like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm interested. Um, but yeah. uh, <clears throat> what I was going to say is, um, Steve, the type of stuff that you're talking about, it's a good example uh, in uh, The Beast Must Die, the first film that we're going to be talking about, of like how um, Chabral understands cinema on a very, um, on a level of like the minutiae and, and like uh, interpersonal dynamics in a way that is easy to overlook. And it's, um, it's his, uh, like sort of the essence of, of what he's doing is, is embedded in um, basic, uh, I guess, like, cinema conventions in a way that you know um godard and Truffaut were well godard especially but um and people like varda were like kind of breaking and chabral isn't really interested in that no he's much more interested in like and as made sense like mysteries and thrillers he's very much interested in the personal and in the the internal worlds of the characters and he explores mm -hmm. that through a very tight film grammar he's by no means like he's and particularly as we talk about like the range of films uh, that we're going to talk about in this episode, which covers some 20 years nearly, um, that you know, the, he, he was constantly refining it, this incredible control over how to tell a story, but he was much more concerned with, you know, the characters up front. There's a certain, I mean, I know he, in his critic days, he would advocate for, like, a certain degree of realism. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, a, a realism to this, uh, rather than, like, breaking the, the conventional grammar so he wasn't like the jump cuts yeah. in the middle of scenes guy that wasn't chabral chabral was much more the uh Bang. you know frame it so that you know you realize someone's thinking about something and it's probably going to come back later kind of thing, school of things which is absolutely i mean the only barrier to chabral really is that you know if you don't speak french you have to read the subtitles which is you know for some people absolutely insurmountable <laughs> for almost anyone else very easy to get in on these. The only thing that's off-putting about his movies is they're, like, super dark. <laughs> I watched all these without subtitles. I don't know about you guys. Which versions did you watch? Uh, with subtitles? <laughs> I went with, the, with the, the, the audio commentary subtitles on. So <laughs> okay. people just random disjointed thoughts going over so top. So you can kind of understand it uh, on the first go. <laughs> I mean, mainly, most of his movies come down to there's a man and a woman, and the guy, you're just not going to like him by the end. That's a good mm -hmm. chunk of them. Uh, yeah, when I watch his movies, I just, I turn the screen off and I just, I just leave the French audio. So I, I actually, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what any of these are about. Many would argue that's the purest <laughs> way to watch all cinema. Um, well, it's funny because two of these movies, uh, the three that we're talking about are bookended by, by two movies that are kind of like very straightforward in their uh story and then in the middle is one that that gets quite convoluted i think um 
Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I suppose it's interesting. We talk, we talk about the straightforwardness, but if we like, we were moving into the Beast Must Die, also known as This Man Must Die. I must. I'm more familiar with the Beast title, but I seem to. The other yeah. one seems to be coming up a little more online now, so I'm not 100% sure which is preferred. All comes from the Bible. Uh, but um, it is it is a straightforward film narratively, but it is also very clearly a film, like, it, it's it's a, a film written to elucidate the writing process, in a sense. There, there's an interesting layering within it, but it is also absolutely a very easy-to-follow film about a man who plots revenge against the man who killed his son. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a Chabral thing that I I think it popped up in the last couple episodes and I, seeing it again he's really good at like I I can look at a movie like This Man Must Die and sum it up in ten words or less it's it's a guy whose son is killed and he's you know trying to get revenge but the thing that Chabral does that I absolutely love about him is he takes something that's a like a very simple story a very conventional narrative and he plays off of your expectations. And and that's where his films get really interesting, the little wrinkles that appear because you assume that it's going one way because you've seen a thousand or read a thousand pulp, mm-hmm. you know, mystery thrillers, and he's able to swerve it in just the right direction without seeming too cheeky about it and uh, kind of gives a new wrinkle to it. So, uh, yeah, and this this beast, or this beast, this man, this guy, <laughs> or as we, as we say in Chicago, uh, Caleb Bet Moore. <laughs> you know, that's uh it, it really does that well <laughs> a little bit more uh yeah yeah so it's it it's interesting because um a lot of his characters can be very ambiguous uh in terms of like how uh they're presented to us um and this one kind of on the surface doesn't seem to be uh doesn't seem to have that you know you have like the victim the uh the guy who the the protagonist whose uh son was murdered and he's you know looking out for revenge and once he finds the man that is responsible uh for it you know he's a horrible like he seems like a horrible man he's a like, comically evil person yeah and it's mm-hmm. funny it's funny cuz um the whole like there's this setup with like the the protagonist is, is writing in a journal and um and he's writing his thoughts kind of like Paul Schrader mode. And uh, it's uh, it's funny to read uh, Chabral in interviews talk about this movie because people ask him about that, like um, why he had such a like uh, comically villainous character. And he's and he, <laughs> it's it's funny how nonjudgmental he is towards him and like is, you know, kind of like not really willing to be like, yeah, he's evil. It's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, he might he might. uh you might be like him if you're in that situation too, kind of thing. And, and, um, and he was like, like every rich guy I've ever met, actually. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, like this kind of ties in with the way we preface this, but like he, he talks about how he, he really likes this movie because of the way that, um, he is seducing the viewer into like complicity through the diary, which is all a big setup. Um, like, seducing you into wanting this man to die and kind of like calling that into question like or like you know showing us that we are being seduced and then like obviously at the end there's like another like complication and complicity with like another child potentially like dying or or serving 
whatever sentence. And, and so it's just kind of like, what is the payoff in this movie? Like if you walk away from this movie being like, all right, like, uh, he got away and he got what he wanted. Like, what does that say about you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a classic revenge story of how, you know, revenge is bad. Revenge destroys the revenger and the revengee. Uh, but filtered through, yeah, a really interesting perspective in that we have our Avenger constantly justifying himself and tracking his thoughts in a, in a, like, a, what we say in his diary, in a very peculiar kind of fashion, like, why, you know, like, as the, <laughs> as the wire notes in, in that one joke, like, you don't jot down notes on a criminal conspiracy, right? You know, it's funny because you, you can watch it and be like, okay, I don't know if he would do this. <laughs> like, you, you you feel like you're one step ahead of Chabal, but but really you're not. Yeah, I, oh, I mean, and that's that mm-hmm. seems like a theme throughout, because going back to Steve's point, it's like no one, I don't think anyone watched more crime movies or read more crime paperbacks than Chabral. Like, he, he'd seen it all, so he, he knew exactly where to, to break it up. And this is exactly it. I mean, we, we have a man who seems very righteous in his quest, who brings a woman into the fold. He finds out a woman was in the car. The son is killed in a hit and run. So at first he doesn't know anything. He starts investigating, doing like, you know, procedural work, looking for damaged cars on the, the front left wing or whatever, you know, where his son would have been hit and so on. And then it's pure coincidence that actually brings him through what, what would be nominally bad mystery writing you know it's not a big clue it's not a it's it's an incredibly almost comically forthcoming french farmer who tows him out of the mud who brings him in it's like oh yeah no i'd remember there the rain a couple of weeks back this guy he got his car stuck there and there was an actress in there with him and you know and it all comes together and he's telling and she's famous my son's a big fan come on in let's have a drink and we'll talk about it and it's just there's a child-sized dent in his car (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty much what it was such an odd thing and like it's which is funny so so like so much of this film it's procedural mystery elements are wrapped up in what would be considered very poor fashion uh, which leads us to understand that Chabral is not actually concerned with this as a mystery. This isn't a mystery film at all, although it starts yeah. with an investigation. Mm-hmm. And then we meet, as we mentioned, uh, Jean Yan playing Paul Decourt, the, the the guy who actually was driving the car, who is the most comically villainous man in cinema, almost. Like, just actually <laughs> a blustering lunatic who just bullies and harasses everyone he comes in contact with, is like constantly boasting about how great he is, who just hits his son for fun. Like he's just this awful, blustery, just hate-inspiring character. And yeah, so we're like, oh, fantastic, kill this guy immediately. And and that's really where the film kicks in. It's kind of like, because ultimately we also learn that he might be evil, but he's not stupid. He understands his duty just kind of coming into the into his world and kind of asking him questions about this and that. It's probably not just it's not coincidence. He's smart, too. So he pulls the tables, he gets oh, yeah. the diary. And so we have this this trade off between these two characters who are have, you know, one is obviously wronged the other terribly. But, you know, what what's actually, you know, mor- like what's the moral right. true way? And yes, Chabral is brilliant in this. And like I say, when I say about this film, taking the writerly aspect, I mean, I think it is very much like this. It feels like since the, the, the mystery details are being pushed aside, it's this feels very much like someone almost writing an essay on the moral intrigue <laughs> of murder mysteries, but writing it as a mystery fiction work themselves. It's it's a really fascinating mm-hmm. frame, but it doesn't but like at the same time the film does not feel intellectual or you know, yeah. more talky than your standard French film. French films tend to be quite talky. 
a lot of them. Uh, you know, if if you're not into that, you know, uh, a lot of them are because they didn't have a lot of money to shoot all the other stuff. Um, you know, but uh, you know, very very accessible, but very smart, clever filmmaking, which you know There's I a, think is it. And kind of hand in hand with that is like some of the beautiful, uh, just like craftsmanship of the of the the film uh, on display. Um, I had read that uh, critics kind of say that this is the line where like the Lang, the Fritz Lang influence kind of overtook the uh, Hitchcock influence. And um, I mean, that's, that's uh, mm -hmm. very credible. I think watching this, like you, there, there's one scene where they're in the, the man's house and uh, they're all in a room and it kind of like uh, the camera just kind of like, without you really noticing or drawing attention to itself, just kind of like surveys it. And then like, on this dolly and then kind of goes back and forth and it's just like there, there's such a smoothness to it that uh accommodates the uh the content um and it's it's just really it's really nice you don't you don't get to see somebody working on that level very often no he's an incredibly graceful filmmaker and this is something that accumulates throughout by the time we get to l'enfer which is very much like late chabral i mean there's this you know absolute control over everything but like you say he's not like the it doesn't call attention to itself. It just it just works incredibly well. If you pull up a scene and look at it again, you'll see the camera directs your attention perfectly mm -hmm. and highlights mm -hmm. things. You know that it's it's it is all present and correct and very thoughtfully composed in a way that you think would be the baseline for filmmaking, and yet somehow <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah. No. Why would you do that? But yeah, I mean, you could you could isolate something like the uh the dinner scene mm -hmm. that they have when uh he, he he first sits down with our with our villain and god like just just the way the camera kind of controls your eye and and directs you to uh, just look at different things and, and take note of different things and then also at the same time just kind of juicing up this ultimate villain who my God, while he's while he's not busy, like insulting his wife's cooking, he then immediately <laughs> transitions to. And also, I found some shitty poetry she wrote today, which I would like to read to all of you. And then he like whips a baguette at his kid's head. Just incredible shit. Here. It, it is really funny that that Chabral played coy on like, oh, really? You thought he was a bad guy? You know, maybe walk a mile in his shoes. And it's like, this is, no, like, this guy is unapologetically horrific. Pretty amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's just uh, it's wonderful movie and also just a good example of what you can kind of expect from a Chabral movie, I think. Like, this is a good encapsulation of uh, this sort of era of his filmmaking. Yeah, it's in that that uh, that bunch from, I can't remember the the run of, like, like 69 to 72 or something like that, that is considered yeah, his, his... Where he made, like, 23 movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely... And, and I think it's not as mentioned as some of the bigger ones, like The Butcher. Um, but... Um, uh, or even an unfaithful woman, um, but uh, it—I th I think it's on par with those films. This this one never got the the American '90s remake treatment, which maybe it's maybe because there's like <laughs> maybe it's because there's like five movies called The Beast Must Die. <laughs> there's there's plenty yeah. called Yeah, Vengeance Is Mine or some very some biblically inspired revenge movie. There's a dime a dozen, and yet so many of them are very good, you know, so it's, it's very confusing. <laughs> I also want to point out in this one as well, it's just a little treat for film fans, is we have a late uh, 
late into the film, who but who but Maurice Pialat should show up as, oh, as yeah. the police commissioner, and right. just always <laughs> always a pleasure to see Pialat. And when we talk about villains on screen, Pialat, of course. Uh, just what, like two years or so later would, would make We Won't Grow Old Together, which is perhaps the most unsparing unf- depiction of, of like auto criticism in a film in terms of like him being an, a terrible uh, boyfriend. I don't think he was married to a woman, but like basically turning his own abusive relationship into a movie and portraying himself with another actor as like just an absolutely horrible abusive man and just unsparingly looking at that Morris Pilar is like fascinating in that mode here he <laughs> he's kind of like the very he's very um what you say kind of like calm and assured as the police commissioner he's sort of just kind of like almost like us kind of piecing together everything that's there and trying to work out well you know we have to tackle this with logic and rationality um and it's almost, again, like the viewer coming in here, you know, we know what's happened in this film, but what would we suppose if we didn't, you know, have it tied together for us, you know, the events of the the whole thing and the presuppositions of guilt when, you know, when, the spoiler alert, the man dies, the beast <laughs> dies, and uh, it's it's kind <laughs> of like... It's a killer beast. Yeah, and, and anyone could have done it. I mean, it's the, the comedy of it that it's a man dies and it doesn't look like the protagonist did it, despite that being his stated aim. But boy, there's no no shortage of people who would have liked to do it. So, you know, although it seems uh, this was something that that also came up in in um, somebody asked, I think, outright or uh, asked a question that kind of like uh, facilitated Chabral to say this something about like, oh, well, he he didn't do it right. Like it, it kind of implies that. And yeah. he's like, well, when you're at the when they're at the uh, restaurant after they've left town and he hears on the TV, um, we have some breaking news or some sad news or, or whatever. And, and he go and he like points to, uh, what's her name? He's like, listen. And it's like, Oh, okay. I got it. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it is unclear there. And it's, it's one of those tricks again within his construction is that so much information is very carefully given to the audience and right. the omission of information, it becomes just as, important for the attentive viewer it certainly does not appear he killed him we don't we're not shown him doing it but he maybe like as becomes a discussion why would you write down your crime unless you were writing down your alibi you know and that's yeah a completely valid mm-hmm. point who who could suspect the guy who wrote down that he was going to do all of it you know if he has some other reason that he couldn't have done it then he becomes the most or the least likely suspect of all of them but <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's very fun. We'll never fun. know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I like this transition into <laughs> the next movie that we watched because, Sean, as, as you mentioned, it's uh, if, if the first and the last movie are kind of conventional for their respective Gibral eras, uh, boy, this one in the middle's uh, it's kind of a, an outlier in a, in a little bit of a way, yeah. but I like it because <laughs> Chabral's a real straight laced dude and he gets, this is the closest in all the movies I've watched from him that he kind of gets to, to camp territory. And right. I fucking love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, what the hell is this? I've never seen this before. <laughs> and this is not like if I were to describe Chabral, what I did know to people, this is not where like, I think I commented to you guys after I watched it was like, it's it, like, it starts like a Chabral film and ends like maybe Fassbender, maybe like it's, it's <laughs> absolutely deranged in how it plays out. But uh, wow, it's, it's mm-hmm. quite the trip. 
Yeah, and and it does like the way it starts, like you said, is is very conventional, uh, Chabral, uh, and we're talking about uh, the breach or le rupture if you're French, and it, it what starts about if off you're and from there's Chicago? Uh, uh, la rupture. <laughs> so it's uh, you know it's 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 about a woman with a young son and a seemingly uh, mentally unstable partner. And he beats the shit out of her, and then you're kind of going through this, uh, what you think is just like a domestic drama where uh, she's trying to, she's waiting for her son to recover in the hospital and also trying to go through divorce proceedings, but uh, she's being pressured and watched and followed by her husband, the deranged husband, uh, his family, who's very rich and very powerful. So you think it's like setting up classic Chabral domestic drama. Uh, also has uh, is it Stephanie or Stephanie Audran, mm-hmm. uh, who yeah. plays uh, a character named Helen for like the tenth time in her Chabral <laughs> <laughs> film career? So like all the pieces are here, and you're like, okay, this is nice, warm Chabral comfort cinema, and uh, and then it fucking completely flies off the handle because uh, the the gentleman who plays the the husband is uh, he's. He's on another level. He's doing some shit that you you don't normally see in a Chabral movie. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you take um, most of Chabral's films, maybe all of them, uh, I haven't seen all of them, there's a lot of them, uh, but certainly the <laughs> kind of bourgeois married kind of couple mm-hmm. is like a center tent pole of his films. Um, and this one is kind of like the, it feels like a very broad treatise on on that as a kind of a social institution subject to a vast array of pressures and uh, kind of prejudices outlay light in a way in a way that's kind of like in this film really just starts it, it turns into like a soap opera in the final kind of third it it, it becomes absolutely like it, things start happening that are not that that beggar belief a little bit they're kind of crazy you don't really you, you know, there, there's like rallying points where suddenly things change, characters act in ways that are very unexpected. Um, and all of it seems to come down to be this kind of like, I mean, if I had to sum this up, like it's kind of like a portrait of petty evil, kind of. Um, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. really sure how better to sum up this film about a woman basically trying to divorce her very wealthy, mentally unstable husband whose parents hire a con man basically to try and and defame her so that the divorce will not go favorably for her Mm -hmm. yeah and i gotta say his uh his tactics you know when he can't dig up any dirt uh really creative way to try and ruin her life (laughs) (laughs) just holy shit you know what he he, because this con man, they, they keep, you know, like going back to him and, and he's constantly having this dialogue with his girlfriend where he's just like, yeah, she's clean as a fucking whistle. I can't figure out anything on her. I keep, you know, trying to isolate her and dig for this and dig for that. And I can't really find anything that's going to stick. And then so what he concocts is so like beyond <laughs> what you would expect. <laughs> Utterly despicable. And, and- right. Just, just beyond, and it's, it's again, it's, it's kind of like the, the villain from This Beast Must Die, where it's played up to such a heightened level, you're just like, holy fuck, and then from that point, it just kind of stays on that level, and, and 
keeps up that psychotic energy for like the last 20 minutes of the film uh, until it all just sort of crashes down at the end. And my God, it's, you also just have like these weird, like farcical things happening. Right. And this whole menagerie in this like boarding house that just get scenes of their own to just kind of be. Yeah, you get the card playing, you get like the uh the the girlfriend who's just like wildly libidinous <laughs> like jumping over. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a it's a film uh with well, a lot of character. Conman's girlfriend who is aggressively topless in Aggr- every scene. Yes, like, just, yeah. She- <laughs> Absolutely. I'm I'm surprised. Constantly ripping off her shirt and just like humping the bedpost. It's, uh-huh. it's a lot. I mean, and it's a really peculiar film because um like I say, it's it's kind of like to me. It strikes me. It's it's about like petty evil because even though the con man comes up with this grotesquely over the top scheme to to defame our lead character, the motivations for everything in this film are actually firstly they're predicated on something that's completely inexplicable. The opening scene where she is attacked by her husband and the son is attacked by the husband. He just violently lashes out against a child, which is just not something you see in any films. Um, like explicated that way is completely unexplained effectively in the film like he's just having some kind of a mental break and from there on it everything else is is very like the 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 connective tissue is essentially the the husband wants to be a writer uh the wife supports him his parents are actually very wealthy but they've kind of like moved it they they don't want to take their help the parents feel very aggrieved by this they feel that the won't that the wife has always you know never been she she wasn't good for him she wasn't good enough for him maybe she was the one who convinced him to like not take their money and and gain some control so you know but their goals are very basic really they they want control they want to keep access to their grandchild they want to protect their son you know and so their concept of like you know bring up dirt on the on this woman they don't really care about her that much they they just want her gone but they you know they they want to keep their son and their grandson in part then the con man i mean his goal is essentially is just money like he doesn't know this woman either he's you know so there's this very banal kind of motivational sequences behind everything and all of those things are motivating essentially degrees of control uh, the parents, uh, the, the the husband's parents want to maintain control of things, of their son, of their lives, their, you know, of everything. They have great social capital to do that. I mean, at one point, the big bait and switch, like one point to get people out of the house is literally offering them a whole other house they should go and see, you know, on, on the day. You know, that's that's wealthy people's, you know, kind of motivation to be able to have that that means to do that. Um, and it's all about that kind of control. And then the final third of the film is about... In a really interesting way, in a way that feels genuinely like unsteady, is about control relinquishing in unexpected ways. You know, like the great plans falling apart in a way that you know a lot of movies are about great plans clicking together. You know, your Ocean's Eleven movies, your lot of the heist movies are about you know a brilliant plan executed brilliantly. Then there's like a whole other vein that is a brilliant plan that fails because of like specific oversights. And then this one is kind of like a wild plan that fails because people are just kind of like, you don't really have that control. It's not really a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Things happen. People don't do what you think they'll do at a certain point. Um, or, you know, in this case, I mean, like, she just got one little stray piece of information from one person and it just gave just enough of a seed of distrust that she moved in a different way to the con man expecting and just everything falls apart at that point you know and it's and it's very understated and simple and uh, you know within the film 
and it's you know everything just go and then we have a drug trip scene and that's that's, that's the movie yeah, yeah it's that's, it, that's a nice little add-on <laughs> it's funny how fast-paced this one is compared to especially the stuff of his i've seen from the 21st century which like is and even like the in the late nineties, um, which just seems to like really take its time, I guess probably just like a staple of of late work. But um, mm-hmm. but even I guess close to something like the Unfaithful Wife, um, this just seems to be like like I said, almost like farcical. Like you feel like the detective or the the you know the guy that they hired, the con man, is just kind of like running around, uh, running through doors like a like a Looney Tunes cartoon at points. There's almost like a feeling at a certain way, yeah, it's like, it's like Renoir's rules of the game. If, if you know, half the characters are irredeemably shitty, uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of the movie. <laughs> I do, I do like, like, God, just, yeah, every single character is just a grotesque caricature of something else. Like, I, I fucking love the guy who, he's, a, he's an actor and he's just walking around in like a cape and a tuxedo the whole time. Just what and becomes and doing? becomes a key part of the plot uh, in a way that other people mm-hmm. don't. I mean, and then you you also have like the three card playing women who are very mean spirited to the woman who you know who throughout the whole movie oh, yeah. just wants her child. She just wants to get out of a clearly dangerous situation and bring her child out of that situation with her. It's all she wants. She is, in a sense, like quite an underdeveloped character almost within the, the film because she's just guided by a very basic impulse. And these three women are very suspicious of her. They're like, they joke, she's probably had a couple of affairs, you know, that the husband probably, you know, you know, why would a husband attack someone unprovoked, you know? That's, you know, there must be something underneath it. And then at a certain point, they absolutely just rally behind her, you know, in, in a completely unexpected move. But, you know, I, in a way, it kind of reminds me of like all the political speech, you know, around, you know, God, as we go into election years and they're always talking about, you know, like the, the political correspondents are always like trying to, init- you know, figure out, you know, oh, what's the voters, what's important, what isn't important. And then people, you know, from just their own life experience point out like hi you know here's someone i know and they're you know they they literally they make no sense like they're they're deeply religious um and they also you know but they also think being gay is fine or whatever you know like people like their viewpoints are like i will you know they elect people based on you know they just think you know their eyes look a little shifty so they won't vote for this guy like it's completely (laughs) random like none of this makes any sense you cannot plot it out the average person is utterly inscrutable uh, and that's and that's life that's and this is the society that has resulted from that partially pretty much well (laughs) god (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know the 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 spinsters are there's something special. I I do like yeah. At the end, you think that they're just going to turn on her. It's like no, they have a girl power moment that you didn't see coming, and then it's just there. <laughs> it's good. Why they got to help her through this LSD trip. <laughs> it, was, it was 1970. <laughs> they knew what to do. Um, yeah, this this one is an oddity. Um, I I think if this beast must die is a good entry point if you're interested in Chabral, I would say uh. The breach is not. It's the exact fucking opposite, uh, which doesn't make it not great because it is. It's super fun. I mean, I don't know. Fun's the right word. Is fun the right word? Fun's not the is, right is word. Is fun the right word it's, for any of these movies? I'm wondering myself. No, no. <laughs> it's uh, entertaining and unexpected. And to Sean's point, has has a nice brisk pace to it. So, like, 
and and then there's some moments where when the, when the film does slow down, like you know when she's talking to the lawyer and she has this kind of extended monologue scene on on the bus, uh, it, it's like it's really just powerful and moving and like just incredible shit. And then, but again, like you you end this movie with an insane acid trip. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> Don't start here, but that doesn't mean it's not rewarding and there's not some just incredible. Uh, things to take away from it, I'd say. For sure. Uh, but now I think we're getting into <laughs> just, I, I love, love, love 90s Chubral, and I'm glad yeah. that you paired two kind of like mid-career works with uh, the 1994 film uh, Les Enfers, which either means torment or uh, hell, depending on <laughs> which interpretation <laughs> you take. Either one equally fitting and holy shit. This is another one where the most simple, straightforward story. Yeah. It's, it's a guy with a ridiculously hot wife who's <laughs> losing his fucking marbles. <laughs> he just can't handle having a wife this hot, which yeah. I understand because she's super hot. But uh, yeah. And then, and then as he goes you know, more it. and more insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was say, see, get, get this, give this lady to uh, Shark Glittis. They're gonna be fine. <laughs> that uh, that resort that they own, it's gonna do really well. She's gonna be happy. Everything's gonna be great. Uh, but in the hands of uh, the the John Cusack French lookalike, it's not not going so well. But I mean, basically, we're just kind of watching his descent into madness and how his physical and emotional abuse just ratchets up at an insane pace. Uh, yeah, yeah. How does a film with <laughs> how, how does a film about a like genuine, deeply abusive marriage have so many laughs in it? Is basically <laughs> what I I'm wondering. It's just funny, like yeah, because if, <laughs> if, like he's he's working, you know, in his what like third decade at this point, or like fourth decade at this point, and it's like if like you can imagine somebody somebody close to me like what's your uh what's your new movie gonna be about claude and he's like well it's about a guy who thinks his wife is cheating on him and it'd be like that's it <laughs> no, that's it's... yeah that's it like that's that's the movie there's a lot there uh claude claude don't you don't you have five of those already yeah but this <laughs> one's still like a masterpiece don't worry about it i, I, I do How fucking dare he this drives me nuts with chabral all these like if you watch the unfaithful wife if you watch um you know, a, a torment or shit. What was the other one? We the covered another podcast. We, I don't know um, if we covered this one, but there's uh, the wedding in blood, which is uh, uh, very similar as well. Mm hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he literally has five or six of these at least, and they're all amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. <come> on. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because the un unfaithful wife. Um, this is basically the uh, exact inverse of that that mm -hmm. movie because um that is about a guy who finds out that his wife is cheating like suspects and then you know it's confirmed mm -hmm. and it's about him going crazy and this is uh like uh about a guy who like you kind of know the whole time that she d isn't actually cheating on him and you're just kind of like waiting for him to like you know get it straight in his head and then like after like the third mm. like you know rug pull of him being like ah actually i don't think i can deal with this You're like yeah he's probably not gonna get over it 
Yeah, no, it's it's like about a no. guy who's like comically jealous for a while until you realize it's actually pathological. It's 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 you know, we suddenly it's like, oh, we're in danger. Like this is this is very bad. What's happening here? Um, it's worth mentioning this is like um, this originated with, uh, of course, Henri George, Henri George Clouseau, the who who had started producing this film. He wrote L'Enfer, the, the original script. He actually wrote, I think, like three drafts of it. And it went into production and it was a famously like it shut down within like a week or so because everyone fell ill and then Clouseau had a heart attack, which he survived. But, you know, it just the film didn't it never happened. And um, I think a couple of years, I think it was in like 2009, maybe they actually there's a documentary that reconstructs what he did shoot and then makes a, a film exploring the production. It was going to be a very experimental, interesting, very aesthetically stylized film um and anyhow it never got finalized and, and by the early 90s when this was made or the mid 90s it, it certainly was not available to be viewed in, in any shape or form and the script was passed on from uh Clouseau's then widow to uh Chabral's producer who you know offered it to Chabral um and Chabral shot it in a much more, certainly visually stylized but it was in a much more straightforward manner you know there's some really cool elements in this it's almost like De Palma like split diopter shots in this you mm-hmm. know to kind of capture mm-hmm. kind of this this gnawing madness that you know for for a while seems you know kind of like oh you know this guy just needs to calm down and then it's like oh no this this guy is like off the ledge like he's, he will not be calming down no, there, there will be no calming yeah. at this point um but yeah but but like tremendous script that he obviously he inherited and and then the the follow-through um I talk about like Chabrol is very just very assured, and this film. One of the things that really strikes me about this film, that I think, is really fantastic, is the way it handles time. It's it's a film that like in the early stages just kind of jumps around all the time. Like basically, uh, it opens with the with with the the two leads meeting, you know, and then suddenly they're married, and then suddenly they have a child. Like it skips over these things, and then you know it kind of like skips overseas. It, like it seems like it skips years at first, and then it skips months. You know, as like recurring guests come like, oh, you should come again next autumn. And then they're suddenly back there again. And it's autumn of the next year, clearly, or, you know, down the line. Um, And then it starts skipping just days. And then by the end of it, you have become completely unglued from time. You're not exactly sure what's happening because the husband's perspective has become utterly unreliable. He is absolutely in his own Mm -hmm. fantasy world. Yeah. Well, and this is a movie, too, where I I talked earlier about how with, with a lot of Chabral's mystery films, he he plays on your expectations because he's so well-versed. And this almost feels like it's it's him playing with your expectations for a Claude Chabral movie about infidelity. <laughs> because, you know, in, in the beginning, if, if you don't know what you're getting into, you go, okay, well, you know, I, I've seen a few of these before. And, and then you think, well, you know, is, is she cheating or is she not cheating? And then it becomes abundantly clear that she's not cheating and then by the end, it, it, it ratchets up to such a degree that not only, you, like you mentioned, you, you kind of lose a sense of time, but complete loss of reality. And there's, there's no objectivity at all left in the film. Like there's, there's nothing. There's just like you, do, you don't know what's real and what's not. And then it just sort of ends and it, it's, it's kind of impossible to tell, like even as the credits roll. <laughs> what exactly has transpired in the last five minutes? Well, that seems to be a touch touchstone of uh, Chabral's uh, magic as a director. Is like 
you're never really quite sure what just happened or like what the last second like ramification exactly all changed uh but it leaves you very mm-hmm. unsettled yeah certainly there there's uh, room for multiple perspectives within it i think it's interesting within this because it's kind of like there's no proof within the film that his wife cheated she might have honestly i mean we we really <laughs> don't know she goes places right. she meets people she's flirtatious with some of the guests although often more like the you know older guests who you know it's kind of like I think she's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's playful, it's part of the customer experience. But it becomes clear as the film progresses that it, it doesn't matter whether, she, you know, it doesn't right. matter what she did at all. The guy is mm-hmm. utterly untethered. And I mean, it's very fascinating to watch it because this is a film that really plays. It was made in, what, 94, I think, when it came out. But mm-hmm. like, this is incredibly like this. This one should be like a letterbox, like, you know, hot button films because it's about toxic masculinity and mental health. And, it, you know, it, it is a film about a man who, as we mentioned, essentially just he's he's a little over his head. I mean, he drinks a little too much. He talks about he has some debts from this hotel. His wife, he just he kind of like maybe punched a little over his weight and got a wife who he's just a little bit concerned. <laughs> it's just a little too hot for, for him to, to keep to keep in line, you know, to keep happy. Um, and, and he's just kind of like. He's clearly causes all of his own problems and then he spins himself as a victim and he justifies everything based on his own victimhood, which he has invented. And I mean, this it's it's and it all unfolds in a way that like to me, this is it's an incredibly funny film throughout the earlier stages because it is like it's almost like emotional Mr. Bean. It's a man (laughs) who just can't handle anything fucking up endlessly while his wife is so nice to him. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then by the end, and of he's it- not even good at the psycho stalking shit either. That's the <laughs> other thing. It's like what he's like snooping around town trying to keep track of her. He's he's a complete fucking clown. He can't he can't even do that well. Didn't put a lot of thought into it. I mean, I guess is is the thing. I mean, it's really funny. Like there there's laughs in this movie, and yet like by the end of this thing, this is like French Henry portrait of a serial killer. Like the the finale <laughs> of this is grueling, um, but but naturally emerges from that untethering of reality that originally seems to be, um, you know, a comic effect. And then we start to gradually grasp, just like the way the film elides over time, that as his perspective drifts away from any kind of, like, of uh, 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 anchored reality point, that this is unsustainable and, and utterly unpredictable. And it's also an interesting film because mm-hmm. what is everyone else doing in this film? And it's very difficult to gauge because... There's, you know, because effectively our protagonist, the husband, is completely untrustworthy and unreliable. But I mean, the the hotel guests are aware they're having these very violent arguments. A doctor talks to her and then seemingly sends her home with a man who is clearly unhinged, which seems insane when you're Mm -hmm. like, you're like at the screen, like, what the hell? And then you realize you've how many news stories have you read where that happened, you know? And it's, it's just a really... God, it just kind of gets under your skin. Like, I, th- I think, like, of the three, this is the film that I unexpectedly, because, you know, it's just about, like, you know, he's 30, nearly 40 years into his filmmaking career. A lot of directors don't make movies like this that far in, you know, that really, no. like, mm-hmm. reset everything. Um, 
of the three that we yeah. watched, this is the one that absolutely I'm just like, oh man, I would show this to anyone instantly, and they might, <laughs> and they maybe they thank me, maybe who knows, or they get, or maybe they never <laughs> talk to you again. Yeah, well, it's, it's not like, like, hey, do you want to see a really great portrait of what emotional abuse and physical abuse? <laughs> you want to see like? a really funny movie up to a point? <laughs> up to a point, yeah. Well, and and that's the other thing about it too that I I really like because just like in the beginning, it does invite you just a little bit to you know. Like, oh, maybe, maybe you shouldn't, like, is she cheating? Is she not cheating? And then it becomes clear, well, no, she's not. And same thing with the, the jealousy and what starts off as just kind of emotional abuse that escalates into full on, like, extreme physical abuse. Uh, she, the, the, the movie and the characters, they invite you to kind of laugh at it because she laughs at it. You know, she's like, oh, you're jealous. That's cute. Ha ha ha. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost playful at first. And it, it brings you in and it gives you this, you know, this sense of comfort. It's like, okay, it's fine to laugh at. And then it's like, no, fuck you. And then you just kind of get shanked and the knife gets twisted in. And I mean, that's, that's a really good portrait of, of how abuse like this plays out frequently. It's like, oh, it's fun until right, it's not right. fucking fun anymore. Like, how serious am I supposed to take this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the concept exactly. of marriage is a very private institution. Like, people tend to, you know, when... when married couples argue in public people tend to kind of like oh it's none of my business you know and then the the incident happens and everyone's like oh yeah i guess shit maybe it was <laughs> a little bit more than we all thought you know and it, it plays with that really well i think it's also interesting with, with within these three movies that two of them are about writers have main characters who are writers or primary characters who are who are authors and then the third movie is about a guy who is rewriting reality on the fly Constantly, like every time his <laughs> every time his wife, you know, every time his wife explains completely validly, you know, he's like, oh, so where were you between this hour and this hour? And she's like, I was here. And he's like, oh, well, that can't be true because this happened. It's like, no, that, you know, that that happened. But, you know, this happened to explain it. And it's all very straightforward. And he just uses all that information to springboard to authoring this like she's so smart she's brilliant she has an answer for everything which means none of it must be true you know and he starts he basically writing his own mystery thriller about an unfaithful wife um it's kind of this very mm. interesting balancing act to all the films because like uh, this beast must die has has the uh has the man writing down his his crimes effectively to dubious intents we're not entirely sure even by the closing credits we're not sure was this a stroke of genius or folly and then in in la rupture it's, it's more oblique but it's a rich guy who wants to play as an as a writer and doesn't really do well and then just violently goes off on his family i'm not sure what la rupture has to say about being a writer but it doesn't look positive i would say no <laughs> yeah good Shit. movies i mean this is yeah hell of a slate nice job sean well, you know where to go if you want a volume four down the line. <laughs> this is the good thing about Chabral is like, you know, if, if we ever watch too much trash, we can always go back to Chabral because he's got 10,000 movies and they're all right. good. So I mean, really there's modes, there's, there's modes we haven't gotten to yet. Like this, we haven't even touched the eighties or the, uh, yeah, the eighties. Always another volume on the horizon. Historical stuff. All right, well. Yeah. Well, we should probably, uh, we should probably wrap things up. So, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Oh, I had something, and now I am going to remember it. Uh, that thing, of course, being 
Um, oh, you know what I'll put over? Because I, I don't think I did it last time, but uh, the Irma Vep TV show um, by Olivier Asias, or I should say series or serial, uh, uh, which, which is a, jo- a joke. Oliver Asias. Yeah. Um, it uh, is on HBO and is uh, just incredibly fun. Um, and one of those one of those uh documents that is just like so keyed into uh contemporary uh discourse about art and the production of art um in a way that is uh just you know very tongue-in-cheek and also curious um and funny and um filled with very attractive people um so a, a, a very pleasant way to spend eight hours i thought you're gonna put over moving because i know how much you love moving yeah, I'm gonna put this box over my head. <laughs> Fuck, Jack, what are you putting over this week? I'm gonna put over because I don't think I did it last week. I don't remember what I put over last time, but um, yeah, uh, Yikai Fi has a new movie, Detective versus Sleuths. Uh, people may be familiar with Yikai Fi if they listen to us, since we did a whole Johnny Toe series. He came up really as a writer and co-director, ultimately co-director with Johnny Toe. He's now writing and just directing solo. It's partially at least because Toe seems to have just kind of given up on directing himself for a variety of reasons. But uh, Detective vs. Sleuths, it's, it's kind of like a sequel to Mad Detective. Um, same character, uh, kind of at the the thing, you know, central character, and Lao Ching Wan plays him as well as he did in Mad Detective. I'm not sure there's a necessarily story overlaps, but uh, Detective vs. Sleuth is insane. It is an insane film about the weight of crime and violence, uh, pitched through like a Michael Bay pacing movie. It is like it is literally like an hour and forty minutes nonstop action sequence but also a Christian movie. Like, it, it is about the weight of sin, somehow. <laughs> it is remarkable. It's, it's like, I, I joked on Twitter, I feel like the movie, like, is pitched at, like, a dramatic register that has just been invented by Waikai 5 just for this movie. It is incredible and insane and delirious and beautiful-looking. Um, so I highly recommend it. Absolutely one of the best films I have seen this year. Um, and unlike, guaranteed unlike any film you have seen this year, unless maybe you watch Mad Detective, and even then, it's much more mad than that. So Detective versus Sleuths. Uh, hopefully, hopefully someone puts it out on Blu-ray in the West. I have no idea if they will. If not, yeah, it'll show up online, I'm sure. Well, I, uh, I unfortunately, outside of the movies for this podcast, I've, I've watched a lot of dog shit lately. Uh, I was I was on an airplane. Uh, I got COVID, and uh, what did I watch the airplane? I watched the Black Phone. Total dog shit. Uh, I watched everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, dog I'm sorry. shit. Also, uh, Matt Matt Neglia. I know you're listening. I, I want you to know that during the uh, climactic scene where uh, the the fingers turn into hot dogs and they start diddling each other, uh, the the person next to me had fallen asleep and then got up and and went to the bathroom. So. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it was it was really tough for everyone, but yeah, that fucking sucked. But hey, then I came home, and as I uh, sat melting to death playing co- or, you know with COVID, uh, when I wasn't playing Elden Ring, I watched a Douglas Sirk movie, and I think it might be my new favorite. Sirk oh, movie. yeah, and you watched it. Uh, yeah, there's always tomorrow. Holy shit! Good movie. Goddamn. Yeah, the real the, good movie. The secret. Uh, the secret. The uh, key is that uh, 
black and white zerks are just as good as the beautiful color ones. A hundred percent. Tarnished mm-hmm. Angels is one of my favorites and is entirely black and white. The whole thing? Yeah. They don't it's go to color even thing. No, he doesn't even put a little girl in a red dress for dramatic <laughs> effect. Real fuck up if you ask me, but... Yeah, um... Always, uh, always a clutch move. <laughs> Cuff, um... If you... I don't know if you've seen All I Desire, but from, I think, the year before? Um, but mm. another Stanwyck comes to town and ruins everything. Um, oh. movie, but uh, both of those are two of my favorites. I've I've got the, I have that one on the Plex server. It's loaded up. It's ready to go. I just and it's like eighty minutes. Up, but, uh, yeah. yeah, Steve just has to get COVID again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Oh, it's it's I I don't know. I'm I'm getting deep into the mellow job, especially when you got COVID and your brain's all fucked up. Um, uh-huh. That's what it does. You're like I have the flu, but also like I I've been lobotomized. It's just it. Cirque is perfect for that because it's just this pure, overwhelming melodrama just bludgeoning you in the face. And God, there's always tomorrow is wonderful because there's there's zero judgment in it or maybe everyone is judged in it. But it's just like, man, his wife's kind of a dick and he's kind of a dick and those kids are kind of dicks. But also they're all not so bad. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) And then there's like a. a a shot of like her crying or the you know the window uh the, the rain hitting the window that like people have been mm-hmm. praising conrad hall for doing which he did like 20 years after <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so uh, yeah i don't know like if if you're not that familiar with Cirque, if you've seen like all that heaven allows and maybe a, a couple of the other pretty ones uh from the technicolor era i would highly recommend highly 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 recommend uh, run, don't walk, and uh, go to your your local video store. <laughs> get, there's always tomorrow, because holy shit, absolute banger. Uh, yeah, with that, uh, I guess we'll wrap things up. So if you enjoyed the podcast today, good for you. I think it was a lovely episode. Uh, why don't you celebrate this episode by giving us money? Did you know you could do that? You can go, and there's a link in the description of this episode that'll lead you to our Patreon page. And you can send us money. And, and if you send us money, well, you get some shit out of it, too. If you live in the continental United States, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection. And it uh, could be anything. could be a, a Blu-ray, a, a DVD. It could be a box set. Uh, could be the, the Scream Factory version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Now that Arrow's put out a vastly, or not Arrow, uh, Vinegar Syndrome's put out a vastly superior version. So what am I going to do with this other shittier one? Uh, maybe I'll give it to you. You don't know. You have no idea what you're going to get in the mail, but you'll get something. And then you also get access to a whole back catalog of uh, exclusive optimism vaccine writing and podcasts and uh, at higher tiers. You can dictate content, whether that's voting on future episodes or even telling us what the fuck to do. So all kinds of wonderful things in your future, should you choose to give us money. I would highly encourage it. Uh, Podcasting's expensive, man. So there's that. And then uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimism vaccine at gmail.com when Adam Myros is uh, not being the next Paul Schrader uh, he, he's slamming that refresh button on our inbox. So he, he'd be happy to answer your emails, uh, or for as long as Twitter decides to be around, you can tweet at us at optimism vaccine, and maybe we'll answer you, uh, the slow crawl to a thousand Twitter followers. What's going to happen first? Is Twitter going to go bankrupt or are we going to get a thousand followers? Who knows? Impossible to say. 
one of the great mysteries of life. So, uh, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you for more Shabral, Sean, and uh, we'll be back again next week.